0: back to the industry 4.0 weekly live q&a uh we have an awesome show planned for you guys today we've got like a ton of ton of questions that you you all have left in the industry 4.0 community discord server so before we get into this make sure to hit the like button and get subscribed because we go live every tuesday at noon central and i'm here with walker reynolds who's going to be answering your guys's questions walker how you doing today very good very good community we've got about a dozen of you guys already in the chat so welcome thank you guys for joining hey there Omar hey there Dan Cheryl Ben vanema welcome everybody hey Mario
1: oh, excellent yeah I'm on the chat right now okay cool um, let me so Zach how you been doing Let's chat for a second, quick chat. I've
0: been doing good. I've been doing good. Talk
1: about, why don't you talk about a couple of the latest developments, um, uh, the new Industry 4.0 uh, news segment that you did this week. Where did oh, that yeah. That, from? If
0: you guys haven't watched that video, go ahead and watch it here. Uh, I'll leave it a card on screen. Okay. Um, I thought it was pretty good. It got a lot of feedback. Uh, for those of you guys that didn't see it, it's four things, Industry 4.0, and it's like a kind of a weekly segment that we're going to do. I mean, we're going to bring it back because you guys really liked it. Four interesting news pieces that have happened recently in Industry 4.0, um, could, probably within the last week, but some of those are, items have happened within the last month. But basically, it's going to be relevant news um, every week and in four minutes or less. So keeping keeping you guys updated you know you guys are super busy so we want to digest all the news out there things happening like last week you know with high bite and then M- hive mq and all the sorts of news and product updates and events going on just wanted to have a format to digest it for you guys
1: excellent i i wanted to talk about uh so one of those news um items that you brought up was this just announced partnership between Toyota and Tesla. Right. And there had been a question in the discord server is actually a great conversation about it in the discord server. But I wanted to highlight something about about this. I wanted to there's three things I want to touch on in addition to answering questions this week, because um, we don't have a community spotlight. Um, so number one, I want to talk about I'm going to kind of talk about the difference between a unique namespace and a unified namespace, uh, in a couple of minutes. Number two, I want to talk about this Toyota thing. So I want to talk about this Toyota Tesla partnership. Okay. And then, um, and what does it mean? Like what, if you read between the lines, what does it actually mean? Yeah. Okay. And then number three, I want to talk about a common, um, a common issue you're going to run into if you're, if you're doing digital transformation projects or you want to get started in digital transformation projects and you're going to, you know, stay technology focused, technology driven. uh, You're going to build a unified namespace. You're going to treat all nodes, all producers and consumers of data as a node in an ecosystem. Okay. You're going to run into some common questions with your, your, from your customers, from your stakeholders. So I want to touch on the, those three things. So first off, you guys will notice I'm in a different area right now. Um, I'm actually in our conference room, in our office. I'm not in the studio. The reason why is because um, I was in upstate New York last week and I had my camera and my um, my microphone with me. Um, and one of the guys who traveled with me is driving the company truck back and it has all that gear in it. So we have a... In our conference room, we have a high-end HD camera, so I'm I'm actually using that today, um, and and next week we'll be back in the studio, but or yeah, it will be. Um, so that's number one. So let's talk about um, let's talk about the Toyota Tesla deal and what does it actually mean? Like, why is it important? Okay. You know, you guys, the community may or may not know this, but. Um, you have to ask the question, like we talk about Tesla all the time. And the reason why is we're basically taking Elon Elon Musk's messaging and we're taking that to all of manufacturing. Okay. So what are the strategies that Tesla used to become, you know, I mean, to become the most valuable company in the world, right? They're, they don't make the, the number one, they don't make more cars than anyone else does. I, I think Toyota does. I think they made 9 million last year. Um, they don't have the highest profit of any um, in, total, in absolute dollars than all manufacturer, uh, all automotive manufacturers, but they are the most valuable company in the world, or they're, they're number two, they keep going back and forth one and two. You have to have the you have to ask the question why? Right? If they just make cars, like if all they do is make cars, which is a very, very difficult market to get into. How is it they went from being on the verge of bank, they needed a government bailout in 2008. They were on the verge of bankruptcy, you know, two t- more than one time. Two years ago, their CEO Elon Musk was, you know, you know, shareholders were trying to get him out of the company. And how is it they went from where they were to where they are, right now? Even though people have been telling us from the very beginning that, you know, t- Tesla is overpriced. This is a pipe dream. Um, you know, they're there. It costs too much. It takes too much energy to build an electrical car An electric car uses too much energy, electrical energy for charging, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What's the reason that Tesla has taken over the market? I mean, is it really that they, um, is it really, um, like, are they just that good at building a brand? Like is Tesla is Elon Musk just so good at con, you know pulling the wool over all consumers' eyes and convincing people that Tesla is this it, 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 you know? I will say
0: they're. Leader. Go ahead. Like Zach. obviously their um. Their manufacturing is is one thing, right? Their commitment to technology is is what you know, helps them set them apart, but also their go-to-market strategy is different, right? I saw a tweet that said, like, Ford is going to spend $3 billion on advertising this year. And Elon Musk is like, let's just take the Cybertruck and drive around uh, Times Square when we go SNL, you know, and get all the free publicity.
1: Well, it, so here, here's the deal. You know, I, I work with, you know, we work with automotive manufacturers, okay? and And the best companies in the world. And you look at the top five auto manufacturers we work with, four of the five. okay? Um, here's something you learn about people who in automotive manufacturing. They've been so committed to um, incrementally improving their process, getting their cars, you know, engineering their cars year to year, so doing improvements from one year to the next, not. Uh, post sale, like they don't do post sale improvements, right? They've been like, we're going to take what we learned this last year or the last ten years about this specific model, and we'll incrementally, incrementally improve the 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 vehicle next year, next year's model. But one of the things that stands out, like I I worked for a tier one automotive supplier, I worked with the automotive manufacturers the product engineers at Ford, Nissan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And and one of the things that always stood out to me was that they were never focused on the best customer experience ever. They're always focused on what they could get away with. Like, what will what will the community tolerate? You know, what will they what what will the consumer tolerate? And whenever some emerging emerging um, company would come show up, they would just buy them out and kill them. But they were always focused on what they could get away with. Okay, like when you look at car and driver and, you you know, you look at these um, organizations who, um, you know, J.D. Power and Associates, for example, um, when you look at how they do the ranking of cars, all that is just horseshit. It's all like that's all being bought. The ratings for those vehicles are all being bought. okay, and that's just the truth. I mean, it's just that they're there and you may not want to hear it. You may not like it, but it's the truth, just like the Gartner Magic Quadrant. That's all horseshit. I mean, it's just absolute horseshit. And it works because people believe it. I mean, because someone looks at that quadrant and they go and they buy it and and, you know, and then they stuck their neck out on that piece of software, they're able, you know, it's all horseshit. They just, you know, Nissan, Chevrolet, Chevrolet has got GM. They they buy those ratings. Um, Tesla. I mean, Elon Musk and Tesla. They figured out. You know what? They're the auto manufacturers are vulnerable in three places. Okay. Number one, they're vulnerable with the consumer. Consumers do not like the current uh, auto manufacturers. Okay. No matter what they tell you in their commercials, consumers don't like them. OK, number one, <laughs> number two, they're they they could not possibly be more inefficient. OK, the auto number the three, auto, auto the autom- automotive manufacturers couldn't possibly be more inefficient. If you In ask the, the and why, well, you know, this is a this is a good point that Luke brought up when we did our, our session with him a couple of weeks ago. He talked about reducing waste, right? I don't like him using that term. OK, um, I'd much rather him use the term efficiency and opportunity cost instead of waste. He he was talking about all the various types of waste, right? Um, Organizations, the manufacturers or businesses themselves can become more competitive by becoming more efficient in between business processes. So by becoming more efficient from the raw material supplier, to the warehouse. So from ordering raw materials to getting them in the door, if we could speed that process up, that's a that that is waste we can eliminate. Right. Um, so that it, it, Luke would call that Luke would call that making the, the total supply chain end to end more efficient. Right. Luke Small, the guy from um, Chakra, uh, the we call that automating business processes. Right. If you look at if you look at Tesla. Like I did when I bought my Tesla, I didn't go to a dealer. OK, I went online, I ordered my car, I put a deposit down. I didn't have to talk to any salespeople. No one tried to rip me off. No one tried me to No one tried me to get tried to get me to use their financing or to sell me some warranty. None of that stuff, all that crap that everyone hates. I mean, by the way, automotive manufacturers have known forever that Consumers hate that shit and they did nothing about improving it. Why? Because they felt like they were not vulnerable. So when it comes to customer experience, they basically said, fuck the customer. Let's see what we can get away with. Okay. And that's really what it is. That's why your car lasts five years. I mean, they don't try to make cars last longer. They try to make them last as long as you will tolerate. That's how they're engineered. Okay. Um, So Tesla jumped that hurdle. They said, let's focus on customer experience. Number two, let's make the product get better after the customer buys it. Let's focus more on software. Right. Let's build a smart car and let's focus more on software being integral to the experience, the driving experience, the level of safety, the features that are available. And let's let's get away from the traditional product lifecycle management for these companies. Okay, for the automotive manufacturers. And then number three, Tesla became an um, automotive manufacturer who set the bar for how do you how you should manufacture anything. They literally walked into a plant and they said they didn't go. How are people? Well, they did. Initially, they said, how does these other companies build cars? And they said um, and they started doing it that way. And they said, oh, my God, these guys are idiots. That's, I mean, literally these guys, the way that they're doing it, is a case against continuous improvement for a flawed manufacturing strategy. Right. If you have if you start with a flawed manufacturing strategy and you continuously improvement, it, improve it, If that manufacturing strategy is your foundation and you continuously improve it. Right. You are you are continuously improving a flawed manufacturing strategy. So Tesla walks in and says everything in our in our every asset in our business can provide us data and information. And it can and that data and information can help It's very valuable. It can make us more uh, make us more competitive in the market. So te- you guys may not know this, but Tesla and Toyota had a partnership in um, the late two, uh, 2009, 2010. And I and that partnership really sort of fizzled out like in 2013, I think. And then it terminated in 2017. And that was when the, there was the famous statement from the the CEO of Toyota who said I, and I, I, I don't want to quote him exactly because I don't remember. But he basically said Tesla is not here to stay. They're overpriced They're, You know, they don't you know, Tesla basically doesn't know what they're doing. And that's why they sold all their Tesla stock pulled out of the partnership in 2017. And now in 2021. Toyota has reengaged. Why? Because they realized they were wrong. And now they're shitting bricks. And that's the truth. They are shitting bricks. They're not the only company. BMW, Mercedes, every automotive manufacturer out there is shitting bricks. Hey, and, and, oh. and, and, and go ahead, Zach. Sorry. Well, I was going to say,
0: speaking of auto manufacturers shitting bricks, uh, the, the CEO of Ford CEO. congratulated Elon Musk on landing the Starship SN15 in Boca Chica, Starbase, Texas, last week. So I don't know. Maybe, uh, if you can't beat them, join them type of uh, gesture, you know, it was just and interesting that, to see this deal. And, and at
1: the end of the day, that's exactly what you want. Exactly what you want is, you know, I could tell you um, I, I want to segue into my third point, which is if you're going to be doing the dig- digital transformation issues that you're going to constantly run into. OK, so. Um, we, we build technology driven solutions to unify and automate businesses. That that is business processes right in in service of achieving the holy grail of manufacturing. That's what we do, right? If you guys want to know the process of that, that's mentorship, that's mastermind. That's everything that's in the discord server, right? Once uh, one of the things that we keep seeing and we've been seeing this for the last year and a half, two years, is every legacy manufacturer that you're going to be working with, whether you are you work at the manufacturer, or whether you're going to be a consultant or a a vendor who's going to engage with that manufacturer, you're going to run into a very common scenario. And here's the scenario. When you do your digital transformation maturity assessment and you're inventorying your organization, whether you're inventorying a client or whether you're inventorying your own um, business that you work for. You are going to take inventory of all the smart things in your business, and those smart things are going to be PLCs, they're going to be hardware, they're going to be PLCs, they'll be embedded controllers. They're going to be smart adapters. A really good one would be like uh, um, the smart box um, with MT connect for like uh, Mazak um, CNC controllers. That's a smart thing. Or it's like going to be Pepper software.
0: Pierce, IO link.
1: Right. IO link. Right, Those are all the you're going to take inventory, of all that smart stuff they already have. You're also going to take inventory of all the software, which is smart by default that they already have. OK. So you're going to take inventory of what MES systems they use, what SCADA systems they use, what ERP systems they use. You're going to take inventory of all those things. And what you're going to find is they have many flavors of many things. Okay, they got lots of different types of PLCs and smart devices. They have lots of different software. Okay, in this day and age, I.T. departments, one of I.T. departments um, responsibility is to make sure that in really large organizations, I'm not using software A for capability A over here and software B for capability A over here, because I got to pay for both software A and software B. So what they'll do, what the IT department will say is if you're providing, you know, MES capability with software A and you're providing MES capability with software B, we want you to pick between A and B and we want you to use the same software in both places. Okay, seems like a totally reasonable ask, right? Here's the problem there's a reason they picked A over here and they picked B over there, okay? And that is what we refer to as the edge capabilities or the edge case capabilities or the ancillary capabilities, the value adds that they needed in plant A that they didn't need in plant B, okay? This is part of the reason that IT departments are just simply not qualified. to make decisions about industrial software, I have actually never seen in my, in all in my entire career a group of people less qualified for the things they are being asked to do. That's not their fault. That's a failure of leadership. But I have never seen a group less qualified for the tasks that they're being asked to to achieve. Here's the real challenge that you'll run into when we design when we design architectures. We will, we will create an architecture coming out of the DTMA, okay? And that architecture will be, you know, to, to create a unified namespace, a local unified namespace in an area, on a production line, in a plant, and then being able to publish that up above, right? So that we can add context, the context we get from MES, the context we get from ERP with the edge data, and then take the context that we get from the cloud and get it back to the edge, right? In, in a nutshell, it's what we're trying to do. The, and often we'll we'll look at the inventory of the software that that they've had, and we'll make the decision. Okay, we look, we check off the boxes. Nope, none of the things you have can we use. We've got to bring in a different IIoT platform. We've got to use Highbyte for data ops. I I by the way, I hate the term data ops. I absolutely hate that term. Um, but I respect yeah, Highbyte industrial
0: industrial data ops.
1: Yeah, I absolutely hate that term.
0: I like absolutely. you know what term I like. What unified namespace
1: I like unified namespace I absolutely hate they, they, and I, buy them, I actually they, they, I actually like I actually like data transformation so I would much rather someone say this is a this is a data transformation tool data ops it sounds like a buzzword right it 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 it, it doesn't it doesn't elicit what you're you're doing with that data but here's the point so we'll you know we'll we we may we will design a technology driven architecture we'll recommend hey we're going to use this software for the IoT platform. Here's why it checks off all these boxes. We're going to use this software for data transformation and connectivity. And then here's going to be our minimum technical requirements for all your software and hardware going forward so that you don't add any software that's not going to plug into the infrastructure. You don't add any hardware that's not going to natively plug into the infrastructure. And here's what happens right after that. The IT department, who is not qualified to select industrial software and by the way, I'm not you're not going to find a single person in this chat who's going to tell you, yeah, I've met lots of IT guys who know exactly how to select the MES system or whatever, right? Um, They're not qualified to do it. They become the roadblock. and, And here's what happens. They will come through and start asking, why can't we use this software for that? Why can't we use this for that? Why can't we use for that this for that? And my architects will come to me and say, how do we respond to that? And the answer will be it doesn't matter why we can't. What matters is we we've as the experts, we have made the decision that what you have isn't going to work. And I can't We we can't go through the process of training you. I, you know, I have 22 years of experience doing this in my career. I cannot take some IT person who knows nothing about plant floor operations or industrial software and try to teach them 22 years of experience in a 10 minute email. Mm. And this is a challenge you run into over and over and over again. And the reason I bring it up is as a community, you have to be prepared to respond to those questions. I I see that you so su- you suggested here's your technical architecture. You've suggested this. Th- I Googled this and I looked at all the software we have, and it looks like these have some overlapping capabilities. Can you tell me why we can't use that one, that one, that one, and that they, one? Why, that? why do they try to do that in the first place? Is it? The well, they would. By the way, they It's a very it's a very good reason why they're doing that. And that like, is oh, we already, already have. Yeah, if I've already BI. got if I've already have an MES system or I we're already using a SCADA system, OK, then why can't we just use this SCADA system for everything? Or why can't we use this MES system for everything? And here's why the answer is um, it doesn't it doesn't meet our minimum technical requirements and our minimum technical requirements. Are extensions of our need, our, our goals for Industry 4.0 and our goals for Industry 4.0, because we want to unify all data and information as a function of our goals. That means that we have to have something that's scalable. We have to have something that's lightweight, right? So we have our minimum requirements, which are edge-driven report by exception, open architecture, right? And those weren't the considerations when they spec the existing MES system or the existing SCADA system, right? But the challenge you run into is you're spending a lot of time trying to explain to people, um, you're spending a lot of time trying to overcome those objections. So you have to be prepared to do that, okay? Um, and, and, and what I wanna do right now, real quick, to help drive, drive home this point, I wanna show you guys, um, let's do this. Um let me know if you can see. Can you see my OneNote, Zach?
0: Yeah. All
1: right, cool. Um let's talk about the difference between a unique namespace and a unified namespace. Okay. Like how is software built? How how are how's anything really built? So let's say that I'm 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 gonna build a piece of software that's gonna be an MES platform. The way that most software is built is just like this. In the background, you know, the, in the source code, um, you have basically the back end with the master data model. Like the 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 crux of a software that provides any capability is going to have a back end with a master data model. It's basically how it's um, storing data, creating structure, and retrieving data and, st- and storing data um, from events, right? So you've got the back end with the master data model. Sometimes it's a SQL lite, sometimes it's T-SQL. And then you've got a bunch of source code, raw source code that's doing all the transactions in the background. You've got an event engine and you got source code. Then what you'll have is on top of that, you'll have a middleware. OK, and that middleware is going to be the software API that you developed on your own, OK, so that the user interface, whatever tool you're using, For the user to interact with this software is going to be able to communicate with the back end. That is the the scripts, the methods, um, the packages that do all the work for that software. You'll create a a middleware, an API layer for the user interface to interact with the back end. Okay? The back end, let's say that this is a CMMS, I've made a CMMS software, okay? Well, what I would do what if I'm going to build it from scratch is and let's say I'm going to build it in Python, right? So the back end is all Python with SQLite or, or, or Python with MySQL. Then I'm going to I'm going to write all my raw code in Python. I'm going to write um, a package that handles all of my database creation, table inserts, um, c- queries, et cetera, et cetera. And Whenever I want to do a function like I, in my CMMS, I want to add an asset. I'm going to run a, a, a script that does an insert to add that new machine into my CMMS. And then I, I want to interact with that. Right. So I, I want to have a, a user interface so that the operator or the the analyst can create a new asset in the CMMS. That's going to be a visualization. That's a whole and that's going to be something I license generally. Right. Um, And then I'm going to use I'm going to I'm going to take that licensed piece of software and I'm going to create a custom interface with it that interacts with my back end. And the way I'm going to do that is through middleware. Let's say that there's data I want to share externally from this software, and I may want to do that over a rest interface or a web service. Right. Well, what I would do is I would create the middleware for my UI to interact with my backend. Um, in a way where someone could do the post or get from my middleware to retrieve the data from my software. So if this is my CMMS and I and the goal, the idea is that most people are going to interact with the CMMS through the user interface I built. Okay, but I understand somebody might want to access my CMMS and retrieve a list of all the assets in a certain facility. I'm going to give them a mechanism to do that. Through the middleware, I'm generally already using to talk to my backend.
0: So, okay? in other words, the same API, like let's say it was called Get Machine, Get Machines, and it returns a list of your equipment machines. You would use the same API that your user interface uses. Would be the same API that external third-party consumers would use.
1: Correct. Assume if I built my application correctly, if I know what I'm doing, that's how I'm going to do it. If I don't know what I'm doing then what what's going to happen is is I'm going to have a middleware that I only I plan on using. okay, and I'm going to I'm going to have a middleware that only I my UX layer is going to use. okay, and I may have to add middleware. I may have to add a standalone API for external applications to query for the data. okay, query for the data that they want from the CMMS two points. I want two things I want to point out. Number one, this master data model, how it's constructed, that is the tables, the keys, the foreign key relationships. They rarely are standardized. That is, if I look at one piece of software, one CMMS, and I look at another CMMS, if they actually let me access the backend, they would look totally different, right? Because oftentimes, the developer who's writing the software, it starts out in a garage somewhere. And it's just, you know, it's it's basically the master data model looks the way the original developer thought it should look. What worked best for him? Right. An so example. He may, use, he may use tall tables. Right, developer right. B may use wide tables um, and, Pr- and primary so, key might be different data type. Pri- primary key might be different data types, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So why does this matter to you guys? Here's why instead of creating a custom API, instead of creating a custom API where if I've got three different pieces of software I need to talk to my ERP, my MES layer and my CMMS so that I can grab all the pertinent information that I need to put together for some dashboard. Now I've got three point to point connections between three different pieces of software. What we're what we do is we create a, we adopt a technology that is completely open. And we ask the software vendors to put that technology on here. In this case, it would be MQTT Spark Plug B. Right. And we would, and we ask those vendors to give us a mechanism we, they, we give them a configuration and they transmit mm-hmm. all their data and events into a unified namespace. That's what we're doing.
0: Instead of having, hating, go ahead, Zach. Yeah. I'm saying I'm, I'm having a lot of these conversations like with software providers, uh, one's coming to mind right now. They're saying, Hey, you know, we're an industry four auto, um, provider. There's a ton of them. And they're like, yeah, the way we get data in and out of our system is via rest, a REST API. And like you're saying what i what I would tell that vendor is, Hey, well, why don't you implement your M- this MQTT spec? It takes like a day of development time publish right. your entire backend into this unified namespace. That's what we're pushing for. And I think I want you to drive that home.
1: Right, so here, here, here's the difference. Here's the difference for you, software vendor. Your current APIs or the middleware that you use to expose the data to external applications. You. The, here's the flaw in your thinking. The flaw in your thinking, number one, is that A, you assume that I always know the information I want. So therefore, I, so when I make a request to an API, I have to I have to pass arguments into that request generally. OK, so if I'm if I'm hitting a rest endpoint, I generally hit that rest endpoint and then I pass in some arguments, return the JSON where the data where this argument equals this and this argument equals that. Right. And then it returns it to me. That works great in point to point integrations, but it doesn't that doesn't scale. You would need an army of engineers to create all those requests. And every time your software, you know, you push an update and now you've got new data that we could retrieve from you. Now we've got to update each individual point to point connection. But what if I said to you, I just want two things from you, from your software. Number one, I want you to send me your master data model. So I want you to send me the structure of your master data model. You can easily turn an ERD, uh, uh, an entity relationship diagram. That's inside of a database. You can easily turn that into a tree structure, just like a unified namespace looks like, Okay? because there's always a an originating primary key and that's your root node. OK, there's there is a table that is the first table in your database, right? Um, in, in, your first table, uh, there's a primary entity in every piece of software. Okay. So you could send me that entire master data model. So if I said, send me the whole master data model, and then for each entity, I want you to send me every event. I just want you, that's all I want you to do. This is how you would do it instead of expecting me, the software consumer to hit your endpoint and know what it is I'm trying to receive because what I want is the structure of your application and I want every event in your application, okay? All right, I want, and that one took longer than I wanted. But. And,
0: then, and then what we do with that could become self-evident.
1: Well, it, become, it becomes stateful and self-aware.
0: Uh, machine learning could use it.
1: Right, it becomes stateful and self-aware. That's what, you know, and there are people in the organization who get in, in the community who get this right off the top of their head. I mean, they it's understand- The
0: central doing. nervous system.
1: Right. I want to go through some quick updates. Discord with 1640 members, we've got 160 members in mentorship. Now we have 53 members in the mastermind program. Um, We have just finished um, our final testing. We we created an industry 4.0 data and information broker. It's basically an MQTT broker in the cloud that we're going to give access to the whole community to. So you can share data and events, simulation data in there if you want to. If you want to have access to it, you're going to be given um, a unique username and password um, and you'll be given a unique node ID to transmit your simulation data if you want to. That way um, we don't have people overwriting other people's uh, topics. Um, and then and it, we'll be sharing that in the next uh, mentorship call and then we'll share it with the whole community after that. And then uh, Tech Data Manufacturing University. So. Um, Sponsored by Intel, we, we shot our keynote address, Zach's doing all the final edits. We sent the rough cut over to Tech Data. Um, Zach will be sharing the links to that if you guys want to join that event. This event is really more for I don't want to say beginners, but it's it's more it's geared a lot more towards the layperson. How does Industry 4.0 benefit manufacturing? What is it? One of the topics I go is what is manufacturing and I actually walk through you know, what a typical manufacturer is. And then I define industry 3.0, industry 4.0. I give examples of industry 3.0 companies, ex- industry 4.0 companies. And then I talk about digital transformation. And then I talk about how these laypersons can help. Most of them are going to be um, salespeople who know who have have experience selling IT equipment, basically, as I think who the primary audience is going to be. All right. With that, let's get to questions. Um, excellent all right live q a um this is the architecting your industry 4.0 career this is going to be the this is the mentorship this is the actual mentorship call in june right zach on friday correct. june 11th correct okay and that's going to be open to everyone
0: the, uh yes yeah. so uh, this is a webinar that every we have like 1675 registrations on linkedin um make sure to okay. click that link in the description to register for the event. And also if you are interested in joining mentorship, if you're not already, there's another link in there to join the mentorship waiting list. If you're on that waiting list, you're going to get the first opportunity to join mentorship when it opens in June. You'll actually, um, so, you know, you'll be able to join the program for the whole year, but in June, if you're, we're giving it a chance to let everyone join and that's why we have 1675 people registered. So, um, we are going to limit the number of people that we that join mentorship. So you're going to that's you're going to want to be on that list. to you know, take advantage of it.
1: Excellent. Are there any questions in here? I need to answer answer.
0: Nope.
1: Okay, great. Um, all right. Let, let's get to the questions. Um, question number one, Davy Jans. So I'm going to read the question and then I, I have a little sketch. I'm going to go through. So Davey said set up so far. He's new to most of these things and he's doing everything with Docker images. So it takes some time. Well, it won't take much. It won't take time when you try to scale it because Docker is the way to go. Um, what's your opinion on the overall architecture? So he has some following questions and thoughts. So he has data that goes from a sensor to an MQTT broker. Is that OK? The answer is yes, I that. In fact, that's the that's the perfect scenario Send both sensors and PLCs transmit into the same broker influx db gets data via mqtt using telegraph plugin is that okay the answer is yes that is how influx db gets data over mqtt into its time series database so that's perfect number three the dashboard i used grafana but influx had one build uh, in ic does uh, does connect to the influx db and not to the broker namespace how can i improve this Is Grafana even capable of doing this? So the answer is no, Grafana doesn't connect to a broker. Um, Grafana is a UI, it's a dashboarding tool that that allows you to visualize time series data. So that has to come from a time series database, okay? Now, there are some tricks you can do and where you can pull time series data from an MQTT topic and Grafana can visualize it But Grafana doesn't know that that's not that it's not looking at uh, a database. It just knows that it's looking at a result set and thinks it's from a database. There are some tricks to doing that. Um, I want to add more context, so like a dummy process order or something to my plant floor sensors. I can add an MQTT topic for a process order or I can build a model and use HighByte for it. What seems best? I'm going to show you here what I mean. Also related to historical data, if it needs to go through the UNS, how do I set that up? All right. So you there are two ways to do this. So you could use high out on the edge to basically pull to consume the raw events from the sensor and then add in the context before uh, you that's called that's uh, a a a high bite model. Before you take that model and use the flow to, strain, to stream it to the broker, so that once it got to the broker, you would have the process, the work order, the process order, and the, the sensor together. The other thing is 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 HiByte can consume the work order from the MQTT broker, combine it with the raw sensor data, and stream it back to the broker if you wanted to. So they're in the same place in the unified namespace. So that's one way you can do it. If I've got many sensors out there and I've got a couple of other and I've got several PLC's, that's that's almost certainly the way I'm going to do it. We're going to put high out in the edge, you know, many implementations, of high, you know, instances of high and we're going to either the output, the output outbound connection is going to be to another high instance. High is going to have broker support here. We had a chance to see their roadmap uh, last week or two weeks ago, and they're they're working on broker support. So high will actually add, be able to serve as an MQTT broker. Um, um, or you'll be able to stream it instead of going from one high instance to another. You can just stream it to a to a, your broker of choice, or you could stream it up into Azure, AWS into your data lake, however you want to do it. OK, I'm going to show you uh, so a quick architecture um, here. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to explain what you're looking at here. So you've uh, let me zoom in for Zach yells at me. All right. So I've got my smart sensor out on the edge and I'm publishing from my smart sensor directly into my MQTT broker. Okay. and generally your namespace is going to be structured like this, you know, ISA 95. So, you know, the group equals site, the node equals the area, the device equals the line. And let's say my sensor is publishing both temperature and relative humidity. The way that you're currently doing this is you're using Telegraph, okay, to look, monitor the events on these two um, d- um, topics, and whenever they change, you are using Telegraph to stream the time series data from that event into InfluxDB, and then you've got Grafana consuming from InfluxDB to do your dashboards, okay. That's one way to do it. Uh, Dave Schultz is doing this uh, just like we are on I know a bunch of other people, too, are as well. If you look at our board that we've got in the studio, this is a perfect example of how we're doing this um, from a local MQTT broker. OK.
0: This is the architecture you have set up on your Raspberry Pi on the demo
1: board. So what you're looking at from here to the right is the Raspberry Pi on the on the demo board. Now remember but this broker also publishes transmits up to a higher level broker, okay? Where I'm doing what's here on the left. Where now what I'm doing is I'm using an IIoT platform, sometimes Ignition, sometimes Factory Studio, etc., 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 but I'm using a platform that can act as the unified namespace, okay? And I can visualize from the unified namespace directly within that platform. So the platform itself has modules that act as both broker and UNS, or I could have an external broker out here and UNS inside the platform. And then the visualization layer, the visualization module inside the IoT platform will allow me to create those dashboards. The limitation here, the limitation with Grafana is that Grafana is designed to visualize time series data. And InfluxDB is for time series data, okay? But if I wanted to add context, for example, like I wanted to add a work order number to to my namespace, and that's not going to come from the sensor. It's got to come from somewhere else, okay? Now, I can store my work order number in the InfluxDB if I want to, Okay. Assuming InfluxDB supports the data type that my work order is in. Okay. Um, if you use like canary labs, historian, for example, you can store, um, strings in, in, the, in, in the historian. So it's not a problem, right? If I want to take this and send it to a, a historian, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to plug Canary. I'm going to use canary here and I'm going to use with the MQTT connector. So I'm going to use Canary with the MQTT connector and I'm going to say I want to subscribe to all of this. And what will happen is, as these as these events change in the broker, they get stored in the Canary Labs historian. So to answer your question, everything about your architecture is sound, Davey. Um, Your your option here, I would use high depending upon the total number of sensors I've got out there. If I mean, there may be a point where you know, hey, if I'm only collecting data from one or two sensors, it may not make sense to put um, a high instance out on the edge. In that case, right? You may want to, you know, if you got money to burn, go ahead and do it. But I, what I, w- the way we're architecting high is we are using high as a um, a data transformation layer. OK, and we do normalization in high bite. So um, and then if it needs to go through the UNS, I showed you how to do that. Any questions pop up on that, Zach?
0: No, that, that was good. Um, right. This one is, uh, also there's a question that follows it that's also from the same person.
1: All right, so let me, I'll read them both. So Devin says, Zach, some questions if you don't mind. As a petroleum engineer, would taking a diploma in electrical engineering assist my journey? What's your opinion on trying to add some cybersecurity qualifications to your industry 4.0 knowledge? You had asked me looks- to
0: have him provide like additional context with what yeah, trying- he's
1: um he said, I watched a video on the orientation call and I have the following question, if you don't mind. I'm a petroleum engineer with experience in upstream oil and gas extraction, but no significant programming or automation experience. Will I qualify for the mentorship program? Yes, the mentorship program isn't meant for pe- just for people who have automation experience. Um, you know, we're we're really starting from scratch. I mean, we're the the, the mentorship program where I mean, my teenage kids are going through mentorship, so. Um, And they have no automation experience. Number two, is it possible to complete step one through three within a year? Man, that would be really hard, especially if you have no automation experience. So as it stands right now, the two fastest people through step one were Andrew Ott. And uh, what's the
0: other guy's name that just Taylor Taylor Taylor? Right. Yeah. We need to schedule the reviews with them.
1: Right. So we had we had two people like blister right through. I mean, but considering we have 157 people in mentorship, um, it's going to take it's going to take the inexperienced person probably three to six months to get through step one and three to six months to get through step two. Okay, so it'd be really hard to get through steps one through three. You could probably do it in um, 18 to 24 months would be the reasonable. I mean, think about this is a this is a massive education you're getting in mentorship. There's a lot It's like a
0: a degree almost.
1: Yeah. Um, Will the mentoring program benefit me even if I'm not currently in an automation role? The answer is yes. Will it make me an engineer with skills that I can use to market myself as an architect? Yes. But here's the here. The answer is yes to both of those. Just because you want to be an architect, it doesn't make you doesn't make you an architect. There's you know, you need you need fluency in all layers of the stack. You need to understand what technology is available, how it's evolving. You need to understand people. Um, You need to understand, you know, the psychology and sociological functions of manufacturing. So, yes, mentorship is the absolute best place to start if that's where you want to go. And by the way, you can become a solutions architect without ever writing a PLC program ever. Okay, it's possible to do that, but you're going to need someone who knows how to write PLC programs on your team in order for you to have full fluency in the stack. Where can I access the curriculum? You can do that at IOT University. Zach can follow up with that. Are there additional fees to access third party software and training materials? There's no fees for software, but there are training courses that we're having you take that cost additional money. I don't know what the total spend is it's like a hundred bucks mate. I don't even know. It's I'm it's
0: less than the cost of mentorship itself.
1: Yeah, it's less than the cost of mentorship itself. So and, and the best thing Mario talks about this all the time. Um, you know, you just make sure you buy your courses when when they're on, when they're discounted. That's the way to do it. But it's ne- it's a, it's a negligible amount of money, though, um, for the additional fees. Should I be targeting the digital mastermind program instead? If I'm looking for a technology pathway, or should I only be considering the mastermind program after going through mentorship? All right. So if you, if you join mastermind, you get mentorship by default. Okay. And so if you join mastermind first, we're going to ask you to do them in parallel. And let me clarify again here. Mentorship is designed to create the professionals who will work on digital transformation projects and um, who are going, who want to be industry 4.0 professionals. That is, I want the technical skills to be able to contribute to these initiatives. That's mentorship. Mastermind is a level above mentorship. Mastermind is geared more towards those people who either wanna be part of a team that does end-to-end transformation, that is from digital transformation maturity assessment to four or five phases in as, as part of the customer's journey, and it's for the people who want to lead digital transformation initiatives. OK, the professionals who are going to know how to ask the questions to um, to correctly architect the um, industry 4.0 auto um, infrastructure. OK, um, Cheryl's going to need to watch this more once. All right.
0: Yeah. Thanks for that, Walker.
1: Yes. Uh, where are there any fees? Should I be targeting? Thank you. Zach. I think that was it. Yeah. All right. Great.
0: I figured a lot of people had those same questions. So thanks for answering that. All
1: right. Lenzo said, hello, everyone. I've heard a lot of talk about digital transformations for a manufacturer, but does anyone have any any material on a digital transformation for an integrator? Is there a framework for an integrator to transition from supporting 3.0 customers to getting their first 4.0 projects? Yes. Mentorship and mastermind. Mastermind is designed to teach the integrator how to transform. All right. The the truth is, is that if you look, there are very few integrators that I have that I have consulted for that. I um, have seen them successfully transition from from being like your typical industry, 3.0 integrator to your industry, 4.0 integrator. How how do they differ? So there's a there's a series of skill sets, the industry, 3.0 integrator, is, is not really going to have any business to intelligence people They're They're going to grow their business by trying to do the same project over and over and over again, do it one time where I've got $300,000 a cost. It goes into building this water wastewater SCADA system. And then I just keep selling that same solution over and over and over again to, you know, as many wastewater districts in my areas I can find. And I keep charging them the same amount, right? That's how the typical integrator operates. The industry 4.0 integrator is more of a um they're more of a consultant, right? If you look at the way our business is structured, the way that 4.0 solutions and Intellic integration work together. 4.0 solutions works with Intellic integration the same way 4.0 solutions works with all other integrators who are part of our who are partners with us. So if you look at Galleris, um in, um solutions in Ireland for example, The way that 4.0 Solutions works with GIS, it's the same way we work with IntelliC. It's the same relationship if um, integrators up until this point, integrators see each other as competitors, right? Uh, You know, and and, you know, they're competing against one another. And and the industry, 4.0 integrator sees other integrators as colleagues in the same space, similar to the way that professors and doctors don't don't compete with one another. They see each other as colleagues whom they respect. Okay. Um but to answer and, your question, Lenzo, where do you get started? You get started with mentorship and mastermind. You get started with uh, with um, um, the Discord server and our YouTube content. I, I personally consult for other integrators to teach them how to move to doing industry four projects most integrators are not used to i mean look at their project management departments they're all like pmi certified project management professionals right that's all waterfall i mean that's all milestone driven that's all managing customer expectation focus it's not
0: electrical contracting
1: right it it's it's more like epc right you know it's more um it's more like construction project management so that's one of the biggest problems that the industry 3.0 integrator has is that their infrastructure has to change. They got to invest more in software developers, more in business intelligence professionals and less in people who have the PMI um, diploma on their wall. Okay
0: We did get uh, Len, uh, Lenzo did get we did get him into mastermind so and we're talking Excellent. about getting more of them in so
1: All right, hey Walker, how do we map third-party applications like Spotfire into the unified namespace? All right. So for Spotfire specifically, for those of you that don't know what what Spotfire is, uh, Spotfire is a tool. It's a a um, trending tool, a trending and analysis tool uh, owned by Tibco. Tibco is really known for their data bus, their enterprise data bus, but they they sell all sorts of products. They sell, you know, Apache Kafka and all that kind of stuff, but. They, um, Tibco is really known for their enterprise data bus. So, if you look at pass paas, which is basically your enterprise data bus middleware, Spotfire is a tool that Tibco sells. Um, the way that you would map Spotfire into unified namespace is really Spotfire would just consume from the unified namespace, and it would the way that it's currently structured, the way that Tibco does this, is you would use the Tibco MQTT plugin for their uh, middleware. So for their enterprise data bus and Spotfire would be able to consume from the UNS that way. Um, I suspect that Spotfire will be able to consume directly from a MQTT unified namespace without having to go through the Tibco TIPCO enterprise uh, data bus um, in the future. Rob R. Hi all. Walker talks about integrating ERP into the unified namespace. I'm wondering at what level we would consider mapping the ERP data into the unified namespace. I'm thinking about the alignment of spark plug B topics and how that might map say, for example, to a work order in an ERP. Good question, Rob. So uh, let me go back.
0: I was gonna here. say that example almost explained it.
1: Yeah. Um, let me, let me go back here. So the ERP each ERP instance for spark plug B is considered a device in um, is considered a device in the spark plug B um, namespace. Okay, so the ERP instance itself is going to have a spark plug B device ID. Okay. What we do is we do not give it a group or node ID. So we don't put in a group ID, and we don't put in a node ID for that individual ERP instance. And what we do is we publish the entire ERP namespace to just the device ID, and that will be in the root node next to the site. If the ERP runs on the site, then we're only going to give it a group ID and drop and drop it within the group namespace. Then what we do is we use the IIoT platform to pull out um, to pull out the pertinent data abstract out the pertinent data that would be things like maybe an asset ID for a specific production line or cell. And then we use a transmitter to transmit to a, a a new unified area, the data that contains the raw events from the edge and the data that came from the ERP. So you're what you're really doing is you're doing abstraction in the IoT platform to do this, or you could be doing this in high byte using models and flows. Okay. So more and more, you're going to be hearing me, hear me mentioning high bite over and over and over and over again. And let me, let me make something perfectly clear here. Two years from today, let me say you, you can take this to the bank. Two years from today, high bite will be the fastest growing, um, IOT platform in the world. Okay. They're they're already two years ahead of the competition. There's no way for anyone to catch up. Once you're that far ahead, you're that, you're that far ahead for good. As long as you don't fuck it up. High is, it has far exceeded our expectations. And if you look at their roadmap, what they're doing in the data ops arena, um, it's unparalleled. Okay. The difference between high and say ignition, if somebody wants to know the difference is that, the user interface is much easier with Hybyte. HighByte is meant to be like they use like a breadcrumb, um, a breadcrumb approach to working with the platform so it's easy for users to flo- follow. Um, but the big difference is there's no visualization. Like you're not doing any visual analysis of data with Hybyte. HighByte is just for data connectivity and data transformation. That's what it is. You can do all your abstraction, normalization, all that stuff. More and more and more, as we're answering these questions, you're going to hear me saying you're going to use high bite to, to do this. High bite's going to be the option here. High bite's the one that you're going to do. You're going to keep hearing that more and more and more. And just are so we're going clear, to
0: see, are we going to see yeah. high bite run like embedded, like getting high bite on the PLC next on board no. or high bite on the Opto 22? No, no,
1: absolutely, no question. That's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to see. And I don't I haven't spoken to Tony Payne about this. I don't know if this is his strategy, but I would be stunned if it weren't. I would be absolutely stunned if it weren't part of their strategy. So um, and just so we were clear, guys, I have no commercial relationship with High bite in any way, shape or form. I don't make any money off of them. They don't pay me for any of this stuff. Everything I'm the opinions I'm giving yeah. you are based on our our evaluation of the platform and our use of it with our current customers. Okay, they,
0: We didn't even say to use the unified namespace term. They were the ones who started Correct. marketing, marketing HighByte as the tool for your unified namespace.
1: Uh, Javier Macionaris, as you may know, I don't work in manufacturing. He wants two or three names of vendors that support MQTT and Sparkplug B uh, for each of these layers. Um, I I've answered this, um, several times. Um, this is, let me zoom out of here and then you can just come here. Um, I, I try not to do this by the way, because I'm always going to leave something off Javier. And I don't, I don't want anyone to think that this is an inclusive list. Okay. So, um, but this is a list at each layer. So this is PLC's HMI's SCADA. Uh, MES. This is um, all of your other other types of tools like data ops or data uh, data transformation tools. This is your ERP. This is your cloud, your cloud solutions. This is not an inclusive list. This is I haven't updated this since December. It was just something I threw together to a- answer a similar question uh, in the past. And you can go there and screenshot Thanks, Javier. Okay. Yeah, man. If I may, I'd like to ask the community about your observations. Do you see any software or hardware tools industry? 4.0 is still missing. Um, Yes. There's a big one, but I'd love to.
0: Ask the community.
1: community. Yeah. I'd love to ask the community.
0: Well, before high bite, it
1: was, you know, high before, before high bite, it was high bite. I mean, that was the biggest gap in the market. Um, What we're missing is a web-based tool, okay? We're missing a web-based tool that can plug into a unified namespace and will give you the ability to drag topics onto a dashboard and um, and build the dashboard, drag
0: and drop. That's like what we're a low, missing. A low-code uh, namespace-driven front-end.
1: Right. Now you can already do this with ignition,
0: Yeah, but, but ignition isn't re- specifically right. designed for that.
1: Correct. And ignition is, you know, your, your, your entry cost is going to be 20, you know, 20 to $23,000. If you're doing perspective, perspective isn't really nearly as easy with drag and drop because you got to do your views first. How do you want the screen to react?
0: Mm-hmm. This would be that. like a perfect free, free user account. And then you license it to get the premium Correct. features or something like that.
1: But what you're what you want is a tool that will allow you to navigate through a unified namespace. Think MQTT broker and allow you to drag a uh, a topic onto a onto a window. And based on its data type, allow you to automatically low code, no code, select what is the component you want to drop in there and build that dashboard on the fly. That's that's what's missing. Now, you can do this. You can do this type of thing with Axiom. Canary Labs with ignition, but it's it's at a it's it's not a no code
0: approach completely. OK. And the price point is not designed just the price for... point
1: isn't right. You want something much more cost effective. So for you web developers out there, get to work. <laughs> um, Barris Viglio glue.
0: This came on. I, LinkedIn. I really like
1: watching you on YouTube. Nice to hear your field experience. You're my best chance to persuade my colleague about what cycle time meeting. Oh, OK, didn't I answer this like an email, I think. Right. No, actually, I think I answered this on YouTube. So he said today I had some tough discussions at my company, which is about uh, the cycle time meeting. I like how OE.com describes it on your their website. But when we look at Six Sigma, it says a little bit. It's a little bit different about it. So my company says we're doing it, doing what Six Sigma says. Yeah, because nobody's ever gone wrong. Um, <laughs> you know, going all in with uh, Lean Six Sigma. Right. Uh, In a nutshell, my supervisor says cycle time means you should subtract subtract stopped time and transfer time from all the time passes that passes to produce one part at that station. Yes, that is true. If what you want to know is the cycle time of that specific cell, okay, but. There's a better way to do it, and that is cycle time from when it from when it leaves when the cycle is completed at that cell to when the cycle when its cycle starts at the next cell, that's your transfer time, cycle time. okay? However, I think it's not cycle time. It's something like net run time, what OE says, correct. Um, th- when you subtract transfer time and stopped time, then now what you're getting is net run time. okay? Cycle time should mean the total time it passes to produce one part, and should include all the things happened in that cycle. The answer is absolutely yes. Cycle time is from the falling edge of the previous part being made to the falling edge of the next part being made. Okay, or assuming, rising to rising. That, assuming
0: the machine doesn't stop in that in that time.
1: No, you 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 still you still want that cycle time to go up. You, you still want that cycle time to go up. If you if you want net run time, go ahead and subtract the stop time. But cycle time is how long did it take on that cycle for that specific part? Okay, you that is for that part. How long was the cycle time for that individual part? What's your opinion? Do you think there should be more than one meaning? What cycle time means at different companies? Is there a standard? Yes, there's a standard. There's many standards. Let me say this. Here's the most important part about this, Barris what standard you adopt is not critical. Okay. That, that isn't the important part. What matters is that you do it the same everywhere. You don't want to be an organization that calculates cycle time one way over here and one way over there. Okay. Or one way there, one way there, and another way over there. Okay. That's what really matters. All right. We're five minutes over. Do you want me to answer another one?
0: Yeah. What's an, oh wait, uh, I can't,
1: I can't, there's no way I can answer that. How many questions did you add to this?
0: There's like 23 questions. Yeah, there's no way I can answer I I went uh, through and um, there was a ton that had kind of came there. there
1: there, Is there anything in the chat you guys need me to answer? Uh, Ben Venema says version control is missing. Version control exists in the Ignition IoT platform, but version control for the unified namespace, well, that exists in HiveMQ. HiveMQ in their enterprise offering allows you to look at the versions of the broker namespace.
0: Um, right, guys, make sure to share, uh, industry relevant. Hold on, Zach. Yeah. Are
1: there any, any other questions you guys want me to answer? Uh, not from the slide, but from, um, you guys have a top of your head and hope, hopefully the format that we did here where I, you know, kind of gave you my opinion on a couple of things early on was
0: valuable. When's your next, when's your next DTMA?
1: The next DTMA is uh, uh, is ne- it I don't think it's next week. Um, I'm finishing the one up right now. I have one last I have another meeting um, tomorrow and then I'll, I'll deliver one Friday. And then I don't think I have one next week. I think it's a week after it might be next week. Um, Sick. actually, it is next week or no, no, it's not. It's a week after because uh, I've got to travel for. Um, I've got to travel uh, right before Memorial Day process videos.
0: That's a good question. Yeah.
1: Process videos in the unified namespace. Uh, John, John, you're saying, can we put the actual videos in the UNS and can we, can we transmit them? The answer is yes.
0: Like for machine vision, like computer vision applications connecting to that data. Yeah. We actually uh,
1: test, we actually tested this over like a cellular connection. You know, could we stream video through an MQTT broker and we were able to do it. Um, Anything about Grafana is a drab and drop solution or does it lack the connectors needed for use with the unified namespace? The answer is Grafana. I I, Phil Scruggs, I answered that earlier on, like Grafana is really meant for time series data and the unified namespace isn't time series. Time series is somewhere else, like in the historian, right? That being said, it can be drag and drop like uh, for specific Topics that have um, where the payload is a data set, a result set that looks like time series.
0: What about Node Red? Wouldn't Node Red be something kind of similar to what we're talking about? Absolutely,
1: but- Node Red would be Node Red would be ideal. The issue is it's not hardened for industry. That's you know, it's not. It's a it's a uh, Skunkworks platform, right? I, I-
0: IOT platform, not an IIOT platform.
1: Right, it's an IOT, not an IIOT. Yep. I think it would make sense to have an edge device for video processing and send the events um, to the UNS in most cases, like defaults. answer is yeah, Mario, that's exactly it very so common- making, you are
0: very common. You are making assumptions about how the data is going to be consumed, though. In that case, though, Mario. Correct.
1: this is this is what we do, though. I want to take Mario's statement a little further. So a really common application here is to use an edge device that's running like AWS Greengrass, that's got a Lambda function running on it, that is that is um, monitoring for the at the abnormal condition in the vision system. We collect all the images. So whether these are going to be images or whether they're going to be video doesn't matter. Video and an image are basically the same thing. They're just use different encoding. Um, You can buffer. What we do is we will buffer all the images on the edge. And when we have an abnormality flagged in greengrass, we then go grab the cached images and then we publish the event to the unified naming space with the images themselves. Either a reference to a location in a file share where those images can be retrieved, or the um, blob the the actual blob of the image. The data. Correct. And, uh, and, and, and we did this like in stamping, you know, a, a really common um, use case would be in like stamping processes uh, for, a, you know, we did it for a connectivity company. I think they were. I know, th-
0: I think MQT, I think MQTT has the ability to change autonomous driving, like the ability for vehicle to vehicle communications within autonomous driving. I think Hive MQ is sort of, That's one of the industries that they're in. I mean, HiveMQ is growing like crazy right now. Oh, speaking of HiveMQ, I did share in the Industry 4.0 Jobs Board. They're hiring sales and marketing, multiple positions. Check out the Discord for Industry 4.0 Jobs. And Industry 4.0 News, if you guys have any Industry 4.0 News, please share it in the Discord. That really helps us with the production. Walker actually helps me review and create the segment each week. So,
1: Actually, let's talk about HiveMQ and EMQ real quick. One of the things that we're seeing is client uh, manufacturers are the IT departments are not um, high on using EMQ as their enterprise broker because it's a Chinese broker because it's coming from China. There's a lot of whereas HiveMQ is developed in Germany, um, it there it's the HiveMQ is passing the sniff test and EMQ is not especially in the really large organizations, the second they see that EMQ is a Chinese product, there are many IT departments that are just saying absolutely no. My personal opinion is that EMQ is, is further ahead than HiveMQ is. HiveMQ is going to catch up. So it's a great product, we use them both. But my personal opinion is as we stand right now, EMQ performs better and it's further ahead in terms of feature sets and capabilities. But what's stopping their expansion in the market is a lack of trust.
0: What can know, Hive MQ whether, that's, do.
1: whether that's justified or not, it's real. Yep. What
0: can HiveMQ do to close that gap? Because personally, I like HiveMQ. I'm not sure if it's just because they're so active in our Discord server and helpful, but you know.
1: It's, ben- it's benchmarking, but there's some, there's a couple of things like EMQ. I, I think, it, it, I don't think, I know it performs a little better in terms of at, at scale. That is not to say that HiveMQ does not perform at scale because it absolutely does. Um, what I really like, HiveMQ has got this tool to do your your benchmarking where you can you know, basically load down your infrastructure if you want to and, and see exactly where it's going to break. That I, I dig that a lot. Um, but my personal opinion is based on my own personal benchmarks and our team's benchmarks. We're in agreement here that EMQ outperforms HiveMQ right now. Um, but it's not passing the sniff test, so that's a moot point. If if organizations aren't going to adopt it, it doesn't matter how much it, perform, it performs. So there is a trust issue out in the market for for EMQ. And HiveMQ doesn't have that problem. Here's the other thing. HiveMQ is a German, uh, you know, German engineers, are the you know, some of the best engineers in the world, um, you know, you know that it's going to be rock solid and it's going to outperform. The question is, is um, what direction is HiveMQ going to go? That's the interesting
0: well, thing, right? Well, and the, um, the free version, the free version is really what a lot of people in the community. I know they've picked it up and they're trying out free to connect up to hundred devices. And, you know, I think that's going to really increase the adoption for like tinkerers like us to be able to build out a proof of concept without the cost of the broker being an issue. Right. Um, all right, cool, man. I'm, uh, We're over. Sorry, guys. We'll see you guys uh, Friday for the Four Things Industry 4.0 update. Thank you, everyone. Take it easy. And mentorship call this Friday. (laughs) (laughs) Bye. Bye.
1: Bye.